0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, go to ellerslie.com. Uh, again, we've been walking through this uh, little mini-series uh, of Life in the Word, and technically we have this study, and then we have next week, and then uh, next week's actually the last one, uh, which is kind of a sad uh, Odd thought in my head, Uh, but super excited to get in the word. So if you have your Bibles, uh, John 15 is where we're going to be. We've been, we kind of hearken back to this over and over and over throughout this uh, series. And I want to go back to what we kind of talked about in the very first study. Uh, And since uh, some of you weren't here and some of you have slept since then, uh, I'm guessing we probably need a quick review. Uh, But we were looking at John 15, this idea of abiding and abounding in Christ. That as you get into John 15, this scene where Jesus is talking about abiding in him, there's this idea that we are to abide like a branch in a vine, but we're also to abound, that we are to be fruit bearing. And so just for the sake of kicks and giggles, just want to read the passage afresh uh, this evening. So here's what Jesus says in John 15. He says, I am the vine, true vine, and my father is the vine grower. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it or prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit But or for apart from me, you can do nothing. And we were looking at this passage, and again, this is weeks ago, uh, but that word for abide, it's interesting. It's the word minnow in Greek, and it has this idea of to rest or to sink down into, has this idea of to remain. And again, my, my favorite definition of abide is to refuse to depart. So so what is a branch doing to that vine? It's clinging, it's resting, it's grabbing a hold of, it, it's refusing to depart that life of that vine. And as one Greek dictionary says, it's an inward enduring personal communion, which I just think is a beautiful way of describing this abiding relationship that we have with Jesus. It's an abiding enduring personal communion, which I just think is beautiful. So l- look at this again. When when we are talking about this idea of abiding, there are two options. We mentioned this on the very first study. But you are either going to live out of your own life and out of your own resource, out of your own talent, out of your own wisdom, out of all, out of you. And Jesus says, if you're going to do that, that's an option, but it's death. And if a branch is not abiding in the vine, it's, it's it's good for nothing except for burning. Or number two, you can live out of and from Christ's life and his resource which Jesus says is actually true life uh, and it's fruitfulness. It it will bear fruit. You will begin to abound in the reality of Christ, which is just beautiful. So in light of that, listen to what Jesus says again. This is John 15 verses four and five. We just read it, but hear it afresh. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Isn't it an interesting thought that if we would abide in Jesus, he actually, his life, that life-giving sap, is actually sufficient for everything you need. I I tend to quote this on on almost every message I feel like. Uh, But when you look at 2 Peter 1.3, which is a great passage, Listen to what Peter says about what Christ is providing. He says that his divine power, speaking of Jesus, has given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. In other words, if I'm abiding in Christ, do you recognize that every single thing that I need for life and for godliness is supplied in him? And I've often commented or joked, I don't, I can't think of a single thing I need outside of life and godliness. Unless you have a million dollars, then I'll take that. But technically, I don't need anything outside of life and godliness. That that what I need is Jesus. And isn't it a beautiful thought that as long as I would remain, as long as I would abide, as long as I would just rest in him and have that inward, enduring personal communion, everything that I need to live this Christian life well will be supplied. Not because of my talent, not because of my effort, not because of my wisdom, but because of him and what he's wanting to do in and through my life. So, we've been, throughout this whole series, talking about this idea of abiding in Christ and his word. What does it mean to have life in the word? The word of God in text, scripture, and the word of God in person, whose name is Jesus. And again, what if that abiding idea, that idea of dwelling, what if he was our permanent dwelling place? What if, as Paul says, <clears throat> that you are to be in Christ? What if that was the reality? Uh, what, if, what if you had an, an enduring, an inward, enduring personal communion with his word and with his presence? Uh, what if, as we talked about a few weeks ago, if, if I could have that pray without ceasing intimacy and relationship with the living God moment by moment by moment all throughout the day? And you realize that this intimacy, this abiding, this, this relationship stuff is not a, it's not a thumb in your back. It's not a have to, this thing's a, woo, it's a get to. So be excited, right? <laughs> Tell your faces. Uh, and, and this should be flowing out of the reality of our love for Christ, Uh one of my favorite passages in the old Testament is Deuteronomy chapter six. It's referred to as the Shema because that's the very first word in Hebrew this word, listen or hear. And this is the, this is the passage that was quoted every, every morning, typically every evening Uh, you come down to the synagogue. This is the very first thing that they would say. Likely, this is the, this is the, the passage that Jesus would have prayed every single day of his, of his life as a good Jew. Uh, this is the passage that Jesus brings up and says, hey, if you want to know what the law is all about, it's this thing right here. And I just listen to this idea. And what if your abiding inward, enduring relationship with Christ came out of a, again, not a have to, but this kind of a lifestyle where Moses is writing, he says, hear, O Israel, listen, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone, our Yahweh is one, and you shall love Yahweh your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And when we were doing the series, uh, what was it was called Soul Drift, and we were walking through each of those elements, one of the things I just was overwhelmed with, just in the profundity of this, is as you get into each of those aspects, it's the emphasis is you, you love God with all that you are and all that you have. In other words, the totality of your life, this exclusive devotion unto Christ should be motivating our lives. So what if the abiding relationship that Jesus is inviting us to, what if it, again, wasn't a thumb on our back or a have to, what if it came out of this, oh, I just love Jesus. And out of that compulsion of just, oh, I love him. What if we just said, I I refuse to go anywhere but where he's at. I, I refuse to have a dwelling anywhere but him. I I refuse to abide in anything outside of Christ himself. So with that kind of as a umbrella, if you will, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into this idea of abiding. Because again, we're talking about life in the word. What what does it mean to actually live and abide in the reality of Christ and his word? So I'm doing the thing that most uh, preachers should not do and give you a long list. (laughs) So forgive me. Uh, but I just wanted to pack it all in. So uh, I guess you can watch the replay and get all the notes if you want it. But what I want to do is I want to do two things. I want to look at what does Scripture say that we are to actually abide in. And then I want to talk about, well, what is the evidence is of abiding? And then I want to talk about, okay, well, then how do we even get started? So I'm kind of breaking this into three little sections. So you could say they're the three points. They just got a lot of subpoints underneath them. <laughs> so forgive me. Uh, but here, here are five areas that... Scripture says that we're to actually abide in. And this is just for fun, just as a reminder. Number one, obviously we're called to abide in Jesus. And again, I'm going to be reading these passages over and over, but John chapter 15, verse four, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. We are called to abide in Christ that we are to have our dwelling, our resting place, the inward enduring personal communion with Jesus. But we're also called to abide in his word. Uh, as Jesus said in John 8, verse 31, he was talking to the Jews who had believed him. He said, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. So how do, how do we know that we are disciples of Christ? Well, are you living, resting, refusing to depart from scripture? Do you have an inward enduring personal communion with his word? Uh, later on in John 15, verse seven, which is our passage, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. His word is to abide in us and we are to abide in his word. Uh, or as Colossians 3, 16, which by the way is a different word in the Greek, but it's the same concept. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That we are just to live in this thing, that we're to have this constant flow and intimacy and resting and refusing to depart from his word. Uh, Number three, we're called to abide in his love. In John 15 verse nine, Jesus says, just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide, rest, refuse to depart, have an inward enduring personal communion in my love. So, hey, we are supposed to live in the reality of, of his nature, which is love itself. Uh, number four, we're to abide in the spirit. Uh, in Ephesians 5.18, again, it's not, it doesn't use the word abide, but it's, it's this concept. But Paul says, do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled, this idea of being filled up with the spirit. Literally like, like, like a cup that has this, uh, an overflow of, of content of water. W- what if your life was abiding filled up with his spirit? And then number five, we're to abide in his truth. In 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 24 through 25, John says, as for you, let that which you've heard from the beginning abide in you. And when you trace this back through, when you start to look at, okay, what did they hear from the beginning? It's this idea of the truth. It's it's the gospel itself. And then he goes on and says, if what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide, get this, in the son and in the father. And this is the promise which he has made to us, eternal life. So you get this idea that we're to abide in The fullness of the Trinity, that you're to abide in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You're to abide in his word. You're to abide in his love. And in other words, you need to be abiding in him. So what then, if I can ask, is, okay, I get it. I'm supposed to do this. But then how do I know I'm doing it? Like like, what are the evidences that scripture says will be evident in your life if you're doing this thing called abiding? So if I am resting in Christ and his word, if, if, if I am remaining in his love, if I refuse to depart from who he is, if I have an inward enduring personal communion with the living God, how is that going to demonstrate itself? So just a couple ideas. And again, I'm just flying through this really quickly. Uh, but one, your life will reveal fruit. Isn't it interesting that the job description of the branch in John 15 is not to produce fruit, it's to abide. And yet when a branch abides in the vine, it will produce fruit. In other words, it's the natural outflow of the abiding. In other words, a, a branch doesn't have to grit its teeth. It, it doesn't have to flex its muscles, which is encouraging for me. It, it, doesn't have to, it doesn't have to say a certain thing. It just needs to remain and hold on to the vine And the life sap of the vine is going to flow into that branch and it will produce fruit. So one of the evidences that we know that we are abiding in Christ and his word is that his fruit is going to be revealed in us. Well, listen to this again, John 15, verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So when you begin to see evidences of the very life of Christ coming out of you, you could go, "Woo! this is phenomenal. Because it is a revelation of of the abiding relationship. Because otherwise you can't produce fruit outside of him, which should be encouraging. Okay. Uh, A second idea is that your life, if if you are abiding, your life will be marked by love and joy. In, In verse 9 through 11 of chapter 15, Jesus says, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Isn't it interesting in the same context of this upper room scene, Jesus says they will know you as a Christian by your love. In other words, when I'm abiding in Christ and I'm abiding in his love and I'm abiding in his word, what begins to bubble out of my life should be love, not just love for, for God, but strangely love for you too. And I've got to put up with you and you've got to put up with me. And there's something beautiful about the body of Christ that one of the evidences of of a healthy church that's abiding in Christ is you should be, the moment you walk in, you should be overwhelmed with love. That, That there should be this undercurrent of joy in all that, all that's taking place. Now that should make sense to us because those are fruits of the spirit. Right when, when Paul in Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Right that, that these things are fruits of the Spirit. So if I'm abiding in him and he's abiding in me, these things should be evident. The life of Christ, his, his attitude, his nature should be seen in and through me. So one of the ways that we can therefore analyze is, okay, am I marked by love? Or am I frustrated all the time? Uh, does this people anger me or does somehow God give me this extra measure of grace where I go, Oh, look, I need to love them. You know? <laughs> and, and somehow you are loving those people that tend to drive everyone else crazy. We won't name names, but y- you know, you know who we're talking about. Okay. Let's just go on. Uh, another evidence of, of the abiding life is that you will be Pruned. So this isn't like, well, I'm going through some pruning season. Maybe I, maybe I need to fix something. And you do need to analyze whether you need to repent and all that kind of stuff. But do you recognize that pruning is actually a good thing? That those hard seasons of life where you're being trimmed down and things seem impossible and difficult, they're actually an evidence that you're abiding in Christ. Now, again, they can also come because of sin. They could also come because of foolishness and stupidity. But if, if you... Openly respond to Christ and you allow Him to speak into your life, and there is no blatant sin, and you're walking in humility. Did you realize that you can actually smile at the hardships of your life and say, You know what? Praise the Lord. This is one of those pruning opportunities. And why will He allow pruning opportunities in your life? It's so that you actually will produce more fruit. So in John 15, verse 2, Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch, that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. And it's interesting to me that both branches that are alive and branches that are dead both get cut, but they're for two entirely different reasons. If you are dead, you're being cut because you're being thrown away. But if you're healthy and you're abiding in, in the life of the vine, he, he may trim you back at times. And, and if you're around here, we get trimmed back a lot. So just hang, hang tight. We're going to go through another one at some point but he will trim us down. Why? Because he actually wants us to experience greater growth and fruitfulness. So smile at those difficulties. Another evidence that you are in this abiding relationship is that you will be obeying the words of Christ. It's not just like, well, I'll, I'll decide if I really want to obey this. It's that when you are walking in a pattern of obedience to God's word, it's actually a sign that his life is flowing in you, that you are abiding in him. In John 15 verse 10, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Or 1 John 2, 5 says, but whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God has been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. So are you walking in obedience to God and his word? Uh, Another evidence of this whole thing is that your life over time is going to be more and more conformed to the image and the very life of Christ, which makes sense. If I'm a branch and I'm abiding in the life of the vine, then the the essence of that life should be radically changing the branch. And so the more I abide and the more I remain and the more I refuse to depart from from that life, which is Christ himself, that he is going to be conforming me ever more unto his image. Uh, In 1 John 2, verse 6 John says the one who says he abides in him, speaking of Jesus, ought himself to walk in the same manner that Jesus walked. And in other words, the very life that Christ lived, he actually wants to to replicate that in and through you. That that this idea of Christ's likeness, or as Paul says in Romans 8, 29, that there's this conformity to the image of Christ, that that we get to share in his divine nature, That, that God is wanting to do something in and through our lives to shape us more and more like him. Now, again, you don't become like God. I mean, you don't become God, praise the Lord, but you take on his likeness. You you become more like him. You you, you become Christ-like. You become godly. You become set apart. You become holy and you become righteous. (sighs) Please stay in your seats. But that's phenomenal, isn't it? That, That we actually get a share in him and his inheritance and we are being conformed ever more unto his image. Uh, And you'll also walk in victory. And I know this could be a very hard passage to swallow, but 1 John 3, 6 says, no one who abides in him sins. In other words, we're not talking about sinless perfection, but we're saying, do you realize that when you are tied into Jesus and you're focusing on Jesus and he's a delight of your life and you're you're just consumed with his life, those old patterns and those old habits and those old mentalities and those old attitudes, they, they will begin to fall away. And there's that great old hymn, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in the, his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Do you realize that is true? That, that the more I press into Jesus, the more I'm conformed to his image, just the things of this world, the, the, all the enticing temptations are just like, eh, they're just not as appealing anymore. And that's encouraging to me because there's still things that are super appealing. And I'm like, okay, Jesus, I need more of you. Because if I had more of you, I'm confident that those things, I'm just gonna be like, you know what? They're just, I'm just not as satisfied in those kind of things. And I, I, I want you more than I want those things. And, and what you begin to find is that you can actually walk in triumph and victory and freedom, which is not a normal message in our culture today. And wouldn't it be amazing to recognize that as a believer, you can actually walk in triumph, that you can actually be free, that you can actually have life in his name. Again, not through gritting your teeth and taking cold showers and flicking rubber bands or any other modern techniques, but because he's actually radically changing the insides of who you are. And that's actually one of the evidences of the fact that you are abiding in Christ. And I love this one. It's this idea that If I'm abiding in him, well, then my life will be filled with the spirit of God. In other words, how do I know that I'm abiding in him? Then the life, the evidence of my life is that it's him. Uh, In 1 John 4, 13, John says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And the spirit of God in your life, the enabling power and grace of God is going to be doing something in and through you that is a testifying witness that says, you are mine, that, that I, I, I have you, that, that, that you are abiding in me because what's coming out of your life, you, you can't explain. Or, or as Ian Thomas would say, the only explanation for your life becomes Jesus. And when that begins to take place, it, it's evidence in your soul that you are abiding in Christ and then lastly one of the evidences of just abiding is this idea that that you will live in this continual ongoing trust dependence and surrender to the vine itself and it's in the whole nature of, of the John 15 passage but as you look at the nature of a branch into, into the vine you could ask the question well when when does the branch take a vacation like like when does the branch have a reprieve like when does a branch say you know what i'm just i need just need 5 minutes without that vine Never. Because the moment it departs from the life of the vine, it's dead. So as a Christian, as someone who should be abiding in Christ, one of the evidences then is I have this continual ongoing trust and and dependence and surrender to him. That that I'm always in this attitude of like, yes, Lord, what do you want? How how do you want to direct my life? And I trust you. And I know this seems impossible, but okay, I'm, 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 I'm all in. And wouldn't we need just to live like that? And I'm fairly confident if we live like that, do you know what they'd have to call us? Probably Christians, wouldn't they? Don't you want to be one? So all that being said, okay, where do we start? Because I don't know about you, abiding seems a little mystical. Maybe that's maybe the wrong term. It seems abstract, right? It feels like jello at times. It's like, okay, I should abide. And you're like, oh, uh, how, you know, like, okay, I'm abiding. You know, it's like, like what, what does it mean to practically abide in Christ? What does it mean to actually live in the word? And so I just want to give you three ideas. And I'm, I'm presuming that, you know, looking at you guys, right, I, I, most of us are solid believers, but what does it look like for even people who may have grown up in the church and who, who are living this kind of a life? What does it mean for us to continue to press in in this reality of abiding in Christ and his word? So I just want to give you three ideas as practical takeaways. Number one, I would really encourage us to examine our love for God. For whatever reason, I was having a good conversation with Joseph this morning uh, when he was cutting my hair. Thank you, by the way. Praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, but we were just talking about this idea of, you know, you know how easy it is to hear message or be around an environment where it's fiery at some level and you nod along, you're like, amen. But that it's actually not evident in your soul. And I said, I said, it's so easy, you know, like in, in this culture that we live in here at this church to, you know, hear these messages and you get so accustomed to the messages. You're just like, yeah, this is true. And, and you know, visitors come and they're like, well, I've never heard such things. And we're like, it's just scripture. But, you know, after, after a few months or after a few years, you just kind of grow passive. Isn't it amazing how easy it is to do that? And I was telling, I was telling Joe that I said... That's I have to be super guarded with that, even as a preacher, because I says, do you know how many time, or do you know how easy it is to be like, yay, abide, without saying, am I abiding? <laughs> so can I just ask all of us afresh? W- would you freshly examine your love for Jesus? Because I think one of the key evidences or the key fingers that you can put on this idea of am I abiding or not abiding is is my love for Jesus increasing? and becoming more fiery, and more hot, and more passionate? Or is it starting to wane and grow cold? And am I just growing passive in my soul? And am I just nodding along in the messages? And In other words, am I going through the motions, or do I actually have it in reality? It's kind of a scary passage, but in Revelation, Jesus is giving this exhortation to seven churches. And you could argue that there's a few good, a few bad, and some really ugly ones too. But it seems like as you read through them, technically none of the churches are off the hook because even the ones you could say like, well, they're sort of good. They, they still have, they still have a chide against them. There, there's still a rebuke against them. And there's this one that I really have a sensitivity to because it's to the church in Ephesus. <laughs> and maybe that's just because I really like the book of, of Ephesians, but it's interesting when you study this through the church in Ephesus was a fiery hot church. And it wasn't that long after Paul had left and John's writing the book of Revelation that Jesus says this, look, look at this. In Revelation 2, verse four through five, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. But if not, I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now, they were doing some good things, but isn't it interesting that they had all this activity of religion, and yet they were dead on the inside. And do you know how easy that is to do in in the Christian life today? That we're we're around a very dead church, a very dead culture. And even, even for those who may, you know, of us who go to like a great church and we hear great preaching, do you realize it's still easy to grow very passive in our souls and it's easy to actually lose that first love that we have for Christ. So can I just ask you, examine your life and say, okay, am I genuinely on fire for Christ? And if not, all right, well, well what's standing in the way? Is it passivity? Is it apathy? Is it, is, it, is it sin? Like, what is it in your life? And what if we would repent of those things? What if we would begin to pursue Christ afresh and just say, God, I need you. Give me a burn. Give me a greater love for you to do something in my life that I can't do myself. But what would it look like if we begin to walk in repentance in a pursuit of a fiery hot love for our God? Again, this is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, hearkening back to that Shema of Deuteronomy six. Someone asked him, okay, what's the greatest law right of the old Testament? And Jesus said, the first of all the commandments is this Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Does that define your life? If someone was to cut you down the middle, would they go, woo, you really love Jesus? I mean, with all that you are and all that you have, you have this exclusive passionate devotion for Christ. I mean, is that how you would be described? Because if not, I genuinely think we probably need to do something and we probably need to repent and we probably need to press in and we probably need to seek after our Lord afresh. So number one, uh, would you examine your love for God? Uh, Number two is you need to get into God's word, which has been one of the themes throughout this entire series. But what would it look like? Not that you just dabbled in this thing, but what if you drenched yourself and just marinated yourself and saturated yourself in this thing? And you just constantly lived in this thing, breathed this thing. Isn't it interesting that oftentimes we become like, or we we start to look like that, which we focus on even without trying well, like if, if you start you know, watching a ton of sports, it's amazing you'll start to look that way. Uh, if, you, if you are really big into, I was going to say chocolate, you will look that way. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Which is usually my problem. Uh, but wouldn't it be amazing if you got so tight with Jesus that even if you weren't intentionally doing it, wouldn't it be neat if you just started looking like Jesus? And one of the best ways to do that is to get into his word. Not because you have to, not, not because you have to just study it, not because you have to read the chapter day thing. Well, what if you just, just got in the word to say, Lord, I just, I want to know you and I want to get to know you. And even if you weren't even intentional about the word, now I would encourage you to read and study intentionally. I, I would encourage you to memorize and meditate upon the word. But even if you just got in the word, just, just to get into the word, do you realize over time you're going to start looking more and more and more like him, you'll have his heart and you're going to have his mind. and You're going to have his attitude. And you're going to have his perspective. And why? Because you, the more time you spend with something, you, you will just naturally think and see that way. Well, then why wouldn't we want to spend time with Jesus? So can I encourage you? Get in the word. Uh, Paul in Romans Chapter 12, verse one and two says, I exhort you brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. If I asked you, what is the best way to be transformed? What, What does it mean to be renewed in your mind? Do you realize that the secret to, to the transformation, the secret to being renewed in your mind is getting to this book? I love what Psalm 119 says. It asks the question in verse nine, how, how can a young man keep his way pure? Which is really a question, not just for men. It's just, how are we as believers going to live as we're called to live? And you can say, well, I'll, I'll start a program. I'll, I'll, I'll grip my teeth. I'll do this discipline or whatever. But the answer actually comes in verse 11. So how is a young man going to keep his way pure? Verse 11 says, because I have hidden or I've treasured your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. That there's something profound about taking this book and writing it on the tablets of your heart. Not, not just mentally, but on your heart. Uh, I was in El Paso a couple years ago and I was talking to one of the ministry people down there and they were mentioning there's this guy with, I think he, had a, he got in a car accident and he lost his memory. He, he knew nothing. Except as he was in the hospital room, he just began to quote scripture. And after several months, whatever, he got his memory back. And they asked him, they said, why is it you couldn't, you couldn't remember any faces? You couldn't remember any, anything about your life? You couldn't remember any of that stuff, but you, but you knew scripture. And I, I've been so convicted by his answer. He said, it's because I did not memorize scripture in my head. I wrote it on my heart. And he says, wouldn't it be amazing if at some point, he goes, I, I had the conclusion that if I, if I ever lost my memory, if I ever lost my mind, if I ever got, you know, Alzheimer's or whatever, he goes, do you realize I'd actually still be okay? Because the word was not written on my mind. It's written on my heart. And I was like, okay, well, then how do I do that? <laughs> And wouldn't it be amazing if if you didn't just intellectually know God's word, but you began to soak and saturate and memorize and meditate upon the word. Listen listen to what Psalm 1 says about the blessed man. It says, the blessed man is the one whose delight is in the law of Yahweh, speaking of his word, and in his law and his word, get this, he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. If you meditated in the word day and night, the psalmist says you're like a tree that never worries about drought. You You don't have to worry about famine. Why? Because you're constantly having a nourishment. And can I encourage you, if you want to be abiding in God, if you want to be abiding in the life of Christ, if you want to be abiding, be abiding in his word. And then as we've been talking through this series, there's a beautiful connection between the written word and the living word. And if you want to know the living word and you want to abide in the living word, you've got to be in the written word. So examine your love for Christ, be in the word, saturate your life in God's word. And then number three, can I encourage you to pray and pursue greater communion with Christ? That that it wasn't just something you did and you just checked it off your list and you came on Sunday mornings and the occasional Wednesday nights. You said, okay, I'm I'm a good Christian because I did the country club thing. What if the consumption of your life truly was Jesus? What if the prayer of your heart was, God, I I have to know you. God, I need you. Uh, Here's what J.C. Ryle said about abiding. He said, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with Jesus to be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out your hearts to him and using him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and our best friend. To have his words abiding in us is to keep his sayings and precepts continually before our memories and minds and to make them the guide of our actions and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. Isn't that good? You need a constant intimacy with Jesus, a constant pursuit of him. D.A. A. Carson, who is a, uh, a modern scholar, wrote this about abiding. I just thought this was so rich. He says, speaking of John 15, he says, the point is clear, continuous dependence upon the vine, constant reliance upon him, persistent spiritual imbibing, which means to drink or absorb of his life. This is indispensable and essential and the essential action condition or ingredient of spiritual fruitfulness. In other words, if you're going to abide, if you're going to grow, you need to pursue Jesus. Jesus. What would happen if you had a prayer that just says, God, I need you. God, I just overwhelmingly need you. And just as a way to wrap up, listen, listen to these passages. Moses said this in Deuteronomy 33. The eternal God is a dwelling place. He is the abiding place, the place of abiding. And underneath are the everlasting arms. In Psalm 91, he who abides in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. What if you made God your dwelling place? What if we about, about abode, made our abode, I should say it that way, in him? What if we just had a reckless abandon and a pursuit to know our God? Look what David says in Psalm 27. He says, one thing I've asked from Yahweh, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life to behold the beauty of Yahweh and to inquire in his temple. I have no idea where I got this from, uh, but I came across this thing this week which said, if, if we took your prayer life from this last year and someone wrote it up, typed it up as a transcript and someone started reading through the transcript of your prayer life from this last year, what is his focus? Like, what's the emphasis of your prayer? Is it you? Is it the things that you need? Or, or is it this overwhelming desire saying, God, I need you? What would happen in this, in this next year if the prayer of our hearts and, and the pursuit of our souls was not so much what we can get from God, but God, I need you. That God, I, I, I want to pursue you. And, and, and the primary prayer that we have in our souls is this desperate plea of saying, God, I just, I don't care what you give me as long as it's you. It, it's like Moses where God says, Moses, I'll take you into the promised land, and, but I'm not going with you. And Moses says, then I'm not going. That the only way I'm going in there is, is with your presence. See, do you have that insatiable consumption and pursuit, that love desire that says, God, I, I just desperately need you. Uh, David was out in the wilderness and it's down near the Dead Sea. There is nothing, I mean, there, there's, there's nothing except for this one little waterfall, this one little um, aspect of water. And it's from that location that, that David writes Psalm uh, 63. L- listen to this. And if I can just maybe ask it as a question in, in closing, is this our prayer? Listen to what David says. He says, Oh God, you are my God. I will seek you diligently. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you, as in a dry and weary land without water. Do you recognize that we in our culture live in a very dry and weary, weary land without water? And wouldn't it be need of the prayer? the the main prayer of your, your life this next year is God, I, I need you. I want you. God, I I want to abide in you. Could could you just fill me up just to the top? Lord, Lord, could you just, I, I need direction, but Lord, even more than clarity of your will of of where you want me to go, I want you. And I'm trusting that if I had you, uh, you will, you will, you will make it clear. See, what, what if the the great need of your life is not, God, I, I need freedom from this sin or freedom from this temptation. What if, what if the great need of your life was, God, I need more of you? Because God, if I had you, then this temptation would no longer even be a temptation. God, that one person is driving me up a wall again. But Lord, maybe what I need is not for you to deal with that person. Maybe you just need to deal with me. God, could I have you? See, what what if... What if your life was marked by Jesus and you were in this abiding and abounding intimacy and relationship with the living God? I think we'd have to call you a Christian, wouldn't we? I want that, folks. I want that more than anything. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, that's true. I, I, I do want you. And Lord, I repent for the times I keep coming to you over and over and over, trying to get something from you. Where the majority of my prayer life is something about me. Lord, what would it look like if the pursuit of my heart, if the longing of my soul, if the deep desire of my life is, God, I just need you. That, that like in a dry and weary land, Lord, my soul is thirsty for you. God, I refuse to take a step forward if you're not going with me. God, could we have that kind of abiding relationship? Because that is what you want with us. Lord, Lord, don't let us make excuses. Lord, if, if we have a dull or a cold heart, Lord, could we, could we repent? And could we turn from our sin? And could we, could we turn from our wicked ways? And could we seek your face? And somehow, Lord, could we truly, could, could we love you with all that we are and all that we have? Lord, could you make your word come alive to us and that it would be so much more than just words on a piece of paper, but somehow this would be truly living and active in our lives and that you would be transforming and conforming us to your image. In short, Jesus, we just want to say that we need you. Oh, we need you. And we thank you that you are the solution to every single problem that we have. Just give you the praise and the glory. We love you. In your precious name, amen. Daily Thunder is a listener supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. If you'd like to learn more about Ellerslie, our discipleship programs, or support the ministry financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.